Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. It's episode two. We are officially now uh, changed our name already to another name, the Heated and Loaded Podcast. We had to switch from episode one uh, being called the Home and Home Podcast because we unfortunately did not do our research beforehand and realized there's already a podcast named after that. So uh, Davis and I, we're moving forward with the Heated and Loaded Podcast. Uh, shout out to the Daily News, one of our favorite spots in Oxford, Mississippi. Wanted to say that on the front end. Davis, how you doing tonight? Doing great, man. Hit us up on Instagram and let us know what we should call our podcast next week so we can have three different podcast names in three weeks. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do, trying to differentiate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Make a great it as hard tonight. as possible for you to find it. It really is. We have a great show tonight for you guys. We have a great guest down in Louisiana, Rivers Huey, joining us from ESPN 104.5 Baton Rouge. We'll be talking about one of our favorite pastimes, SEC road trips and ranking those. So please stay tuned for that. We also want to talk, of course, about last night and uh, the last dance. We had two new episodes, a lot of different takeaways from it. Davis, what were some things that stood out from you, starting with episode five? Uh, again, awesome to get back into it. It's uh, incredible to watch Jordan, uh, ruthless Jordan coming out, you know, that or not ruthless, but more difficult to work with, mean Jordan. Uh, we're starting to see some of the cracks that lead him to potentially departing, and we know he departs and goes to play baseball, but I'm, I'm excited. It's been fun. The Kobe piece, just starting out in episode five, really hits you hard. Um, really love the fact that while MJ was very contentious with a lot of people, he saw something in Kobe, and that really stood out to him, and, and that really played through uh, the, some of that first part of the episode five. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, seeing Kobe was jarring. I mean, I, we kind of lost, I know we've lost a lot of things in, in coronavirus, but I, you know, I hadn't forgotten that Kobe Bryant died, but you know, Kobe Bryant's dead. And it's, it was very strange to see Kobe in this play and, but it was really cool too. I was excited to see him. Yeah, it was good. Kind of saw how Jordan went. We've seen different phases of his career so far. He's more of the elder in this example at MSG and I loved how they went from that to kind of going back to the beginning days when he was figuring out his Nike contract too. And just seeing the different phases of Michael Jordan is really interesting. And of course that's why people love this documentary, but the fact that he came to that decision and Adidas wasn't even prepared to make a shoe for him. That's why he went with Nike amongst other reasons. It is fascinating to see what it's become today and going back to that era. Change sports history, right? If Michael Jordan becomes an Adidas guy, I mean, maybe he eventually goes to Nike, but like it changes everything. The way Nike marketed Michael Jordan in the 1980s is the prototype for how we've done everything else since. It's a huge moment in history. It really is. Uh, certainly in sports marketing and, and certainly in when we see through, uh, played through the 90s in, in the era that Michael Jordan really comes into his own, those early days really set that foundation for where he went. And then, you know, really when the tide turned for MJ, and this is really the episode I think where it starts to shine more about not Michael Jordan trying to ascend, but more about he is now at the apex and the peak. The Blazers series in the NBA Finals, that first NBA championship really showcased that. And then how he – was pretty uh, adamant about how he wanted to beat Clyde Drexler going into that series. And of course, after that, uh, going to Barcelona in 92, what were you thinking about that? Yeah. I mean, the dream team is the greatest basketball team ever assembled. So it's, it's sweet to be able to watch them play basketball anytime we get a chance to watch them play basketball. Right. Not just because they aesthetically look good. Right. I mean, cause I know that you're a Great. fan of their uniforms, yeah. but, and I mean, I, th- I think everyone's a fan of their uniforms, but <laughs> but I mean, just being able to watch them play basketball and also the level of competition was, was really um, stark. 
or the, the, the disparity in the, in the competition. I mean, you have the dream team who just mopped the floor with everybody. Uh, that's not what we see now. I think that's, this is a good thing for basketball 1992 where they killed everybody is because now we have this like global game that everyone's really competitive and the United States now occasionally doesn't win, which is uh, disappointing for all of us, but it was, it's really cool to see, to see that foundation from 1992. This truly was the launching point to make basketball an international sport. That was the thought behind David Stern's reasoning to allow this to happen. I'm sure on top of the fact that uh, some of the best players, of that era were really centralized in America. And uh, from there, early launched the game. It's cool to see a guy like Tony Kukoc, even in the early stages of international ball coming to its own, uh, play for Croatia. And uh, unfortunately he was on the wrong end of some of the uh, bad blood that Scotty and MJ exhibited on him and the rest of the dream team accordingly. But it was cool to kind of see even their backstory on their relationship before he became a member of the Bulls. Yeah, absolutely. And poor Tony Kukoc, I mean, the guy had nothing to do with it. He's just the victim of Jerry, everyone hating Jerry Krause, which is a theme. From I mean, it wasn't exact. They didn't talk about it a ton in this doc, in this episode, but it's a theme running throughout this entire series is that, man, everybody hates Jerry Krause. Another thing to touch on that you mentioned is that you, you talked about David Stern. Uh, add this to the list of things we could have entire podcasts on. David Stern is brilliant. The so, guy knew exactly what he was doing, sending those players to Barcelona to, to grow an audience to be able to market his players. I mean, Guy is a genius. And I know a lot is made of him. I'm not trying to say he's underrated. I don't think he is at all. But just want to reiterate, the guy knew what he was doing. He was so smart and made the NBA what it is now. Unfortunately, another guy who passed away in 2020 that didn't get a lot of uh, publicity from uh, that because of what happened with Kobe and then obviously where we are now. But, yeah, certainly the NBA is, it exists today. It does not exist without his influence, um, taking it from the era – pre-MJ to, you know, the, the magic and, and Larry Bird to then, of course, the, the modern era we're chronicling here with the documentary. I think the other pieces from uh, episode five that uh, were really just stood out for me, Danny Ainge, how many teams is that guy on? <laughs> At least three or four in, and maybe one episode span. Pretty amazing to see. And really just the music and the style. Some of the fits that MJ had in Barcelona, for example, I would wear that right now. It was awesome. And then the music, we've touched on it a little bit, but the music aspect of this episode in particular stood out. We had starting out with Nas and a tribe called Quest and Black Sheep. Uh, really runs the gamut on like how this intermixed sports and pop culture to a greater extent. And MJ was really that catalyst. Um, so, yeah, when you look back in the 90s, you kind of think instantly of some of the faces you saw in this episode. Prince, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Spike Lee, obviously, with that connection, but also the music with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we can, a lot can be made of the music on this thing. And I got a kick out of watching Jerry Seinfeld in the locker room and then getting thrown out of the locker room. But I think it's so interesting too, that Jerry Seinfeld was the cool guy that was being brought into the, now it's Drake and, you know, all these other rappers and stuff, but it was Jerry Seinfeld. It's like, you know, Jewish guy from New York that is a comedian and kind of awkward is making a television show about nothing is the guy that they drag into the locker room and everyone is like, Oh my gosh. Hey Jerry, how you doing? He's like, Oh, Hey Phil. I don't think I mean, John Mulaney is getting brought into a locker room these days. No, absolutely not. They're, most of those guys are like, who the hell's John Mulaney? Most people would probably say that in some degree, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really funny to see how 20 years later we're in a completely different era and, and what things look like. And then episode six, you kind of transition from 
kind of the brand that is Michael Jordan into maybe finding some ways that not as everything as you see in the commercials and even on the court with his persona, some of that off the court piece uh, they really touched on and not all of it was great for him and his image, but it was interesting to kind of see finally a little bit more of the inside into how that was wearing on him a little bit uh, between the off the court stuff and uh, just how the media was portraying him. Yeah, I mean, you know, they talked a lot about Jordan Rules, the Sam Smith book, who's a writer in Chicago, a journalist in Chicago. Uh, you know, that was uh, and also really interesting is they kept they pinned it all on Horace Grant, which I which we haven't talked about Banks. So I thought that was super interesting. They made Horace Grant to be out to be the goat on that, but uh, yeah, I mean, you start seeing cracks in foundation and the foundation of Jordan. I mean, he's he's getting he's not getting all just universal praise all the time. People are being critical of him. People are paying a lot more attention to how he behaves off the court because they're seeing him do things that they don't find to be maybe, you know, you know, that would be okay, you know, in the nineties, like him gambling, you know, going to Atlantic city or whatever, but they're, they're having, we're starting to see it wear on Jordan. And I think it's, uh, I think we know it's setting us up for what comes next, which is him leading. People forget, listen, this is a complete different era. This is 1992, 1993. A lot of the things we know as standard today were very much taboo in that era. And, and gambling, I think, was certainly at the top of the list. And uh, MJ was the first to kind of give insight into what happened off the court. Um, probably since Lynn Bias, I guess you could say, was the most controversial uh, conversation we had in the NBA with his kind of stardom and, and what he was off the, the court uh, with the gambling and, and the other pieces to his lifestyle. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it was so interesting too, is that the guys in the eighties were doing drugs and, and, you know, there's a lot of cocaine and all these other things. There's a lot of, especially early eighties when Jordan showed up, you know, Jordan was going to a casino and playing blackjack, which to me in the grand scheme of things seems like apples and oranges. Uh, now the timing of his trip to, you know, Atlantic city famously was, was in question, but, I don't know, man. It's it's a uh, it's interesting, and I think that if we were to look at it through our lens today, what happened with Jordan, the media circus that was the early '90s and excuse me, late '90s, is would be, you know, increased by orders of magnitude today. You know, can I can't imagine first take having that stuff, and and, and honestly, this is what set up the world that we live in, where we have a first take. So for better, it's, for uh, worse, that's where we are. Yeah, right. Probably for worse. Speaking of for better, for worse, we are not currently playing sports right now, but we're trying to, Davis. What do you think's happening there, and, and what are you seeing on your end when it comes to getting this thing maybe in some bits and pieces more back to normalcy? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic about pro sports uh, because that's what would happen first. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, the coronavirus interrupted basketball literally mid-game of the Jazz game. But I uh, – I, I'm optimistic. I think baseball, basketball, I think they're going to be back this summer. Um, and I think that's important because we obviously know NASCAR is coming back without fans and golf is also, but baseball and basketball are the two probably most logistically difficult, right? I mean, yeah. baseball will probably, you know, they, they pitched around playing exclusively in Arizona. They pitched playing at spring training sites in Arizona and Florida. And then most recently they pitched playing in their home stadiums without crowds. And I think that if they can pull this off, I think it'll be really it's, – it's a lot of moving pieces and it seems really difficult. But if they can pull that off, I think it would be really awesome. Not because, just because I'd be able to have sports again, but, you know, we wouldn't be able to go. The basketball one I think is the most interesting and seems less logistically challenging but maybe a more interesting proposal, and that's playing all under one roof, right? Or, like, having all the playoff teams show up to Las Vegas and stay at the Mandalay Bay where there's a huge convention center and they can build a bunch of courts and the players live in the hotel and never leave. I mean, that bubble idea would be really like an interesting, like 
thing to watch. It's just like how it would happen. But I think what's most important is that these two, if, if baseball and basketball can pull this off, that's what lays the groundwork. And, and there's a, then a blueprint for what I know you care about. And that's college football. We need football. And yeah, we need football Davis. Like, let's make it happen. If that means NBA cranks it up, we get baseball back. Like you said, it'd be awesome to have those things, but as we all know, this world that we know revolves around having NFL and college football back in the fall, preferably. So whatever we need to do to make that happen, let's do it. We need two days. We need HBO hard knocks. We need all those things to bring us back to normalcy again. Is two days still a thing? It's still a thing, man. I think it's the Chargers this year. My mistake. I don't even know. But um, no, two days was the. Wasn't that the high school show? Two days was yes. Two days was hard the, knocks. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're I just didn't know if Hoover High was about to get back on TV. No, I bet Rush Prost is actually having practices right now as we speak. <laughs> he is not really uh, concerned about the coronavirus. He thinks he can make the coronavirus's ass quit. I'm sure he's got some uh, <laughs> mantras about that moving forward and, and how he can make this team more tough by you know overcoming adversity and things like that when it comes to the coronavirus, being a catalyst for that. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hopefully we can find a way to get football back for Rush Probst and all these other great coaches we're trying to uh, really uh, come to their own. It's going to be an interesting year by itself, and this has certainly added an interesting wrinkle to it. But uh, football being back would be awesome. Um, speaking of football, we've got a really special guest tonight. We mentioned it in the front end. We're going to have our friend Rivers from ESPN 104.5 Baton Rouge talk through with us about our collective favorite SEC football road trips. We are now joined by one of our great friends all the way down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's Rivers Huey. Rivers, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Good. Uh, we wanted to have you on. You're definitely known amongst the, uh, we like to think even Southeast regionally. Okay. Don't give me too much credit. Um, quite the household name when it comes to sports media. And we were very honored to have you. For those of you not familiar with Rivers, Rivers grew up in Mississippi like us, but is now based in Baton Rouge, currently on ESPN Radio down in Baton Rouge on the Off the Bench show as a producer on that team with uh, Jordy and T-Bob, and um, they do a great job down there. So it's awesome to have you, Rivers. Thanks. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. I'm usually on the other side of things, so it's cool uh, not being the one asking the questions, being in charge. Rivers, I know that you've outgrown us as friends, <laughs> but have you outgrown your show yet? I feel like uh, you're... No. Not at all. I haven't outgrown anyone. I feel so strange that I forget sometimes I go into work and I'm like on the radio every day um, until people like I run into people and they're like, oh, I heard you or um, or someone like, like Kevin's work, my husband, they'll hear me and be like, oh, she was like saying this thing about you. And I'm like, oh, I have to remember that like I'm on the radio and people hear me. So um, I don't feel very cool. I don't feel like I've outgrown anyone. Uh, but it is a lot of fun. So well, thanks for remembering us. <laughs> I'm glad that they're keeping me around. I'm glad you guys are keeping me around too. I mean, the fact that it only took like nine text messages to get you to agree to this <laughs> is, is pretty incredible. Uh, no, no, it only <laughs> takes one. It only takes one text message. It's like it would have taken about 15 phone calls, though. Yeah, true. She would not. Good to know. <laughs> also, very appreciative because you had your second baby recently. So congrats on that. So you're thanks. amazing. A lot at your house now with two. Yeah, it's kind of crazy um, having kids. It's, it's really wild. Um, I don't sleep a lot. They tell you that. And you're like, yeah, 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 whatever. Uh, but no, you really, you don't, you don't sleep a lot. I sleep for probably like 90 minutes at a time. 
in any given moment. Um, so I feel like I'm just like putting a kid down to sleep or like feeding a kid. So that's well, I'm glad cool. that we could take you away from <laughs> I know, look, that I'm so happy use. to do this with you guys yeah. to see other humans that aren't my children. Well, I mean, that's actually, we were thinking about saving you for later, but it's like, this is our chance. She has nothing better to do other than maybe <laughs> sleep and keep, and keep a newborn alive. Although so, this is a really great time to, to be keeping newborns alive because I can't go anywhere and neither can anyone else. Right. Um, so I'm not missing anything. Very true. Well, speaking of things to do and things we used to do before all this happened, we thought we'd go down a rundown with you of one of our favorite pastimes. I know Davis and I have done this together and Rivers and I have been on some game days our own um, self back in the day when I was in Baton Rouge with her. But we wanted to walk through our personal top three SEC road trips. Now, how we quantify that and how we actually say what a road trip is, it's not necessarily the town itself. It's more about, say, hypothetically, you're going to a game on a Saturday in the fall. That's what we would constitute the entire weekend for that. Um, so, yeah, we thought who better to have it on than someone who is from Starkville originally, lives in Baton Rouge, and is amongst LSU fans and people all the time, and has probably been on a few road trips back in the day <laughs> at some point. So, no, um, I, uh, yeah, that's, I feel like I tell these people all the time. Um, so one of my friends went to Disney World recently and like took his kids or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's really great. I've never been there. And yeah. he was like, what? That's wild. I was like, no, no, no. My, my dad only took me to sporting events growing up. He was like, look, you'll appreciate this way more. Like we need to go see the Durham Bulls. You don't need to go to Six Flags. So like, that's what we would do. And so I, I feel like I am very qualified for this conversation. My wife calls it sports tourism and she gets really <laughs> angry with me whenever I'm like, oh, you know what? We're in Albuquerque. The isotopes have a game tonight. Maybe we ought to go check that out. <laughs> no, and, and you know like, what? What sport is that? Yeah. Well, look, as like a, an 11 year old, I didn't really appreciate it. But now in retrospect, I feel like I've had all these awesome experiences um, that make me very unique to people. So, uh, you know, sports tourism. Or just cool. unique. Yeah. Love it. Well, let's get down to the actual countdown here. Rivers, we feel like you should start here. Oh, no pressure. So the guests on the show, and then we'll kind of do a snake <laughs> draft, if you will, of uh, RM picks for third, second, and first. So, Rivers, okay. So, I'm going to go third. Okay. So, my third one is College Station. Um, I have a lot, and I had never been there until I moved to Baton Rouge. And there are a lot of people from um, AM who end up as transplants in Baton Rouge because of the oil and gas industry. So um, I got to go back with them and I wasn't sure like what I was expecting from college station. Um, I don't know. You, you see all of them, you see them in their chants and all their like swaying and whatever. And it seems really strange. Um, they haven't always been part of the sec. So like the new guy, but I was really pleasantly surprised. Um, I got talked into going to yell practice on the Friday night, which doesn't seem very cool, but it's led by the yell leaders, which is another kind of strange thing. Um, I don't know. I'm okay with it. I'm progressive. I'm okay with, with guy cheerleaders. I think that's fine. Um, that's <laughs> right. Um, but you also have to be, I found this out. You also have to be elected. So it's kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of like student body, if you will. I don't know. Hmm. Um, but anyways, we had a good time. I feel like A&M fans are um maybe like the kindest fan base of all the sec that's people. fair 
they're still in that mode of trying to please others. Very nice. Go out of their way to be hospitable in that way. Yes, yes. Any interaction, and not just including the one that I had in College Station, but just like any other times, I have friends who've come to Starkville and like tailgated with us or like stayed at my house. I remember this, um, these people stayed at our house and then my parents weren't in town and then my parents came back in town and they had a thank you letter from the people who they had never even met, which I know we're like in the South, people write thank you notes a lot, but um, it was just really strange. They were just so nice, but um, I felt are that- Are there more evangelicals at Texas A&M or, the, or at Mississippi State? I feel like the only way to describe the, what you just described to me is like Southern Baptist youth ministers. I yeah. feel like they, they create, they have to create more Southern Baptist youth ministers than any other university outside of Mississippi College. That's exactly what it feels like. That is what it feels like. They're just like really, they're kind of like that goofy like neighbor you have that you don't really want to talk to, but they're so nice and you feel like you have to. And then if you don't, you feel bad. I don't know. They're, Ned they're Flanders. Nice. Yes, yes. Um, yes. So, but plus College Station was kind of cool. Um, I didn't realize how big it was. I looked it up early and there's almost 100,000 people who live in College Station. Yeah, that's pretty big. I didn't realize that because we were kind of like in a concentrated area with all the bars and, and such. Um, Dixie Chicken? Yes. The only one yes, I know. That's the one the with the, one the, the big ears. And then there was another one and I didn't do enough research. I don't know the name of it, but it's a shot bar. That's all they do. Um, and like I said, <laughs> when I went, it was kind of like in my adult years, you know, like it wasn't a college thing, like I had a real job and like real money. And we walk into this shot bar and I don't know, there's like 10 of us and we're like, Oh, we'll buy a round of shots. And we're like, Oh, maybe. And we look up the board and it's like dollar a shot. So we're like, everybody, <laughs> you know, everyone's buying rounds of shots. And so that was cool. Um, everything was very inexpensive and college priced, which was fun. I don't know, but I just Did felt that. like it was, yeah, it was fun. It was um, I left College Station that weekend being like, huh, I'll go back there. I'll like go do that. I never have, but I, um, I don't know. I, I really had a good time and I enjoyed it. And that's it. why it's number three. <laughs> that's <laughs> why it's number three. They're just very nice. They're very nice. I felt like, like I was going to feel guilty if I didn't include them in my list. Davis, what about you? Uh, my number three is uh, Nashville. Um, now, keep in mind, whenever... I was going to Nashville in college. This was, I was in college from 2005 to 2009 or 10, 10, because I victory lap. And um, it wasn't the Nashville that like everyone goes to bachelor parties these days, right? I mean, it was like, or bachelorette parties or whatever it is. Like we were hanging out around Vanderbilt. I had a couple of friends and friends of friends that went to Vanderbilt and we would just go and go to Satco on 21st street, just, uh, hang out in Hillsborough village thinking we were cool. Um, drinking at Rotiers, I think it's how you spell, how you say it. It's across the street from Vanderbilt across West end banks. You live there. Is that how you say it? Actually, a lot of those places have closed up since Stop. <laughs> yeah. they've all no become condominiums where Taylor Swift lives on the top floor. So well, that was another reason. There was also this like glimmer of hope that we might run into Taylor Swift. <laughs> while we were there but yeah i mean i'm the lady a instead so it's oh it's still pretty cool it's just not that yeah no it was uh I, I, look i love going to nashville now it's it's a ton of fun but like what i remember about nashville in college was those people studied their tails off all week and then as soon as friday rolled around they were or maybe even thursday for a lot of them they were partying and it was a blast i mean i remember spending like three nights at the sae house with some friend of a friend and having probably one of the wildest weekends of my life. And it was a blast. So Nashville for me, sports, 
They're terrible there. It's not any fun at Vanderbilt. Uh, tell them that, please, especially their baseball fans. If anyone, if we know any Vanderbilt baseball fans, whistle at them. Uh, I yeah. glad that you included it, though. I I wanted to put it on my list, but then I don't know. It was just like I was just putting it on there because it was Nashville, and it would yeah. have had nothing to do with Vanderbilt. Like when I've been there, I haven't even done any of the like collegey things that you you listed. You know, like. I've had no association with Vanderbilt when I've ever been in Nashville other than like seeing, you know, well, and then also, you know, Ole Miss played there exists. every other year. And I went once for a football game for an Ole Miss football game and the stadium was Ole Miss fans. I mean, it was like, so right. sports like aren't the reason for you to go unless you, you know, just want to go hang out in Nashville, but uh, love, love Nashville. That would be my number three. On to me. I think, um, you know, there's so many great options, but trying to narrow it down to a top three is really tough. I'm going to stick in the SEC West, moving over to a certain town in Alabama, T-Town, Titletown, Tuscaloosa, number three mm. for me. Really just more – every time you go, it's always a blast. You can always run into random people, just kind of blend in with the Crimson Tide fans in your own way. All you have to do is buy a shirt off the street like Davis and I. <laughs> in this case, it's actually a poncho. And walk around until everybody roll tide, and you'll fit in just fine. Like, that's what if awesome. you don't do those things? Um, so that was pretty awesome. Did that multiple times with different groups. One time, we actually were at an Ole Miss game at, at halftime of like a really bad non-conference opponent during the Coach O era, and we looked at each other and said, "LSU and Alabama are playing tonight in Tuscaloosa. Do y'all just want to get get on the road and go? We have enough time." So we piled twelve deep in two different cars and drove to Tuscaloosa without having any tickets to the game and just party. Had a great time. And Tuscaloosa was awesome, with or without the game uh, actually being attended. It's a great city. They have really good bars that are specially packed on the weekends of a game day because that's their Super Bowl. They got six of those a year, and they really take advantage of it. Um, decent tailgating scene. Like, the quad is not bad. They let you kind of drink openly. It's not this, like, put it in a cup situation. You could do – beer pong out there unlike some places that we might have attended and I just like all the people I, I think the one problem is just unfortunately there are not many bars to go to and they're kind of all spread out so if you go to one you're kind of stuck there and you kind of have to enjoy that I mean the strip's pretty fun you know you walk the strip going yeah. you, you have galettes you have I mean further down is Innisfree but like there there's some good spots along the way when on your way to the to the to the quad yeah. it's just so hard for me to get on board with Tuscaloosa uh Oh, they're so intolerable. I don't know if maybe it's because I grew up in Starkville and, yeah. and people talk to me about that a lot about what fan base I find most obnoxious. And, you know, I mean, obviously I went to Mississippi state, so I don't like Ole Miss and this and that, but I think because we were only an hour from Tuscaloosa in Starkville, I saw so many Alabama fans all the time and they really are just so intolerable. Like an hour and a half if you get pulled over in court. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I just, I don't know. I just can't with Tuscaloosa. I, and I spent a lot of time there, even in high school. Like, I would go to games and, like, tailgate and stuff. I just can't. Ugh. We had some good friends there, and we'd go hang out with Banks and I did. I mean, Banks, we had a similar situation. We were at a Mississippi State LSU game, and um, we got up and left that game and drove to Tuscaloosa, and that's when we bought the ponchos. So, you, <laughs> you've had a few get up in the middle of a football game and drive to Tuscaloosa experiences. I didn't realize that you'd had multiple. I yeah. felt special, but I guess that's not the case. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's – I mean, Tuscaloosa is a fun town. It didn't make my list, but it, I've never had a bad time there. I can comfortably say that. 
it's a like a lot of these examples here we'll get into in a second. This is not a town I want to hang out with on a Tuesday in July. It is yeah. strictly that weekend for that purpose. And you know, it's kind of a 36, 48 hour deal where you, you will have a good time in that window. Well, I think that all three of us have the same number two. Am I, am I right? Oh, yeah. It may be number one also. <laughs> so we've gotten it. through the, we've gotten through the exciting part where we all have different opinions. Y'all can turn it off now. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks Rivers. No, uh, Rivers, let's start. So, I want to hear at least if we have the same answers, let's hear the reasons behind it. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, my number two is Baton Rouge. It's strange. I spent a lot of time coming to LSU games um, growing up. Mississippi State LSU games and then um and then I never came to Baton Rouge in college ever mm. which is kind of weird I feel like I would have loved Baton Rouge in you college see Michael Hennig play quarterback in Tiger Stadium Good Lord. Uh, uh, I have a Michael Hennig jersey around here somewhere true story <laughs> you are such a liar <laughs> no I do <laughs> oh god oh um so I never came in college but I feel like I would have I would have thrived in Baton Rouge in college I don't know why I never made it here maybe I knew that I didn't need to so I never came and then I moved here um and I know so that probably makes me a little biased I'm around LSU a lot I'm around um the program the people um and I really just I think that I think that it's a really cool experience to come here um LSU fans for sure can be very loud very in your face and you can have a bad experience here with people because there's a lot of drinking but I feel like you can have that bad experience anywhere you go um I find that people are so welcoming and the tailgating here the only complaint I have about the tailgating the game day experience is that everything is so spread out I mean like you can be at a tailgate and want to go see someone else and you have to walk a mile which is not that far but I don't know I'm just not trying to walk a mile on game day um but once you get to those tailgates, there's always something crazy happening. There's like a live alligator or there's like a bull to ride or a shot ski or like there's just like something to do at every tailgate you go to. Um, so the games are all right, but like really the tailgating is, is why I go out there. So um, I don't know. I just feel like they're the most welcoming fan base I have experienced, which I feel like a lot of people wouldn't say that. But, uh, but spending the amount of time I have, I've, as a Mississippi State fan, people know that I'm very open about the fact that I'm a Mississippi State fan here, and people love it. They like invite me in. Do you think that's because you're non-threatening? Oh, I, I don't know. I say that to people all the time. I feel like people are always patting me on my head. You know, like oh, a little Mississippi Bless State fan. Yeah. Yes, yes, always, constantly. Um, I hope it's not because I'm not threatening. <laughs> they're just nice. I don't know. I don't think so. I think that, you know, I think that they're, they're mostly nice to other fan bases. Um, but I guess LSU fans probably aren't intimidated by a lot of other fan bases. I mean, Unless they're Alabama. Alabama, you know, and now right now they're like riding their highs. So probably not even them. Right. Davis. Uh, I, I said Baton Rouge also. Um, Loved going to Baton Rouge. I had two stepbrothers that went to Baton Rouge, or she's went to LSU, uh, which is also in Baton Rouge. But um, we, uh, you know, we went down a fair amount in college uh, for Ole Miss LSU games. In fact, one of the, I swear, one of the greatest sporting events that I've attended as an Ole Miss student was, um, I think it was a 2009 Ole Miss LSU game, 2008 Ole Miss LSU game. 2008. Um, with Jevin Sneed uh, on the, Ole Miss team that I'm confident at the end of that year probably would have beaten anybody in the country. It was insane how good they were. They, were, they beat the crap out of LSU in Baton Rouge. Um, had a great time. But, and I've gone back since as an adult, 
and have just as good of a time. It was a little different. I mean, I still went to bogeys, which I think is perfectly reasonable, but RIP, right? Um, no, back open. We're back. We're Stop. back in business. Um, back. It closed. Yeah, we're back. It closed. And then a couple of the football players tried to like rally together. Like some of the older ones, like Jacob Hester and Matt Flynn, they wanted to buy it. They couldn't. And then someone else bought it and now it's back, but they opened right as, as everyone was like entering quarantine. So mm, great timing. I know. So we'll see. Actually, the first time I, I had never been to bogeys. I was we at bogeys with you two the very first time I ever went to bogeys. Oh my god! Oh, that was like 2014. I, because I never came here in college, so I never did like the. No, I mean it makes sense. I never did the uh, the Tigerland bars. And I, I agree with you about um, and you know I, I agree with you about the the excuse me the LSU fans being welcoming. I think they're incredibly nice. They're a lot of fun. They'll razz you and give you a hard time, but they they want you to have they, they want to make sure you're having a good time. They want to give you food, you know whether it's again alligator or something crazy or just delicious Cajun food. But um, I, I love going to Baton Rouge. It was always my favorite place to go. Well, other than my number one, it was very easily my favorite SEC school to, to, to go visit. Plus it's only an hour away from New Orleans. So people can come to Baton Rouge, hang out, do some fun stuff. And then like, yeah, yeah. head to New Orleans. Yeah. Thanks. Honestly, that's exactly what I had down my notes, River. So number two for me, Baton Rouge, as everyone has mentioned, I think it's because you bring the duality of a New Orleans trip and also make Baton Rouge part of that experience. That's what makes it so good in my number two. Where else can you go where you go to New Orleans, you get on a bus with like 20 of your friends, and then you just simply go there and back during the day. And then you make Sunday potentially when you're really, really struggling. Um, <laughs> still have a New Orleans experience around out the weekend. One of the best experiences in college football, much less in SEC. When we're really going down the list, I think that bogey's experience really exemplified our <laughs> why we love the post game of an LSU game so much because you get you go into bogey's for example anywhere in Tigerlands like this, but specifically bogey's you get this like Prince kind of smoke machine dance <laughs> going on, and you kind of like you're, you know you're coming from a three to four hour football game you've been out there a long time and you look around like those tall dudes over there are, are they like is that OBJ? Is that Zet Menberger? Well, Menberger. No, I was about to say that night we were there. Menberger yeah. was just like in the middle of the dance floor. And, yeah, and one of those guys, we won't mention who. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll stay off that. And every goalie <laughs> who was actually in the stadium is now on that dance floor. Like, man, this place is rowdy. This is awesome. So, uh, first trip for me was actually watching Eli Manning play in 2002. Um, I got to go on a bus down. We drove in. My dad was like, look, be careful. You just don't know about – People in the parking lot or whatever. I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? I've been to Ole Miss games. How bad could it be? We get out, and there is a fight happening between two fan bases right by our bus, right by Tiger Stadium, where beer bottles were broken over each other's heads. And this is 30 minutes prior to kick. I'm like, this is what Baton Rouge is like? This yeah. is awesome. I'm like a 14 yeah, This is awesome. Like, <laughs> and then Banks and I almost <laughs> went there. Like, so you, I, mean, you, I didn't realize that was what you were looking forward to. <laughs> so that's my number two we are the final segment now the number one round this is big some of us might have varied opinions on what the number one might look like so i'm excited to hear everyone's take rivers what do you say is number one um so athens is number one for me um the reason i think it's really more nostalgia than anything i mean athens is a cool place i think it obviously um you two maybe have it on your list as well but um it was my very first road trip that I went on as a college student. Mm. From what I remember of the trip, it was a lot of fun. 
Um, the next day we woke up, the, the game was at like 1 PM. It was so hot. Mm. Um, normally this would be a con for me, but I think I needed to like sweat and move. So like, I felt like everywhere we went on campus was like, we were walking uphill. Even when we were walking downhill, we were walking uphill, um, which was what I needed. So thank you Athens for that. But, um, and the game was okay. I mean, we ended up coming back and almost winning. Then we didn't. So that was a little disappointing, but I don't know. Athens is just a cool place. Uh, the bar scene is really awesome. I love music. I love REM. So it's like hard to not love Athens just for that alone. But, um, but yeah, I felt like every bar we, there's like a bar for everyone in Athens, no matter what it is that you're into, like you can be into anything. And I felt like every bar I walked into had like a different like style, a different vibe. And there was like something for everyone. So Which is a far cry from the bin. <laughs> and drifters right. or whatever it is in Starkville. Right, right. It's like maybe mugshots awesome. back in the back in the day. No, but, that was just like it, everything else. Um, so it was. I mean, yeah. So as a freshman in college, I was like, "This is cool. Like, this is what I want." And yeah, Athens is my number one too. Um, and for a lot of the reasons you said, but I think you really, I think what you just, the last thing you said was the most uh, relevant for me. It's that it was something unlike anything I'd ever seen. Like coming from small town, or you know. Born in a small town in Mississippi, went grew up in Jackson, which is not a small town, but it's not really like a happening town, especially in the two, in the mid two thousands. Um, now you know, like in the you, you get to college and things are new and exciting, and Starkville and, and Oxford were fun, but then like you roll into Athens and it's just a different animal. Like it was unlike any place I'd ever been. Like it was just young people everywhere, but not just young like college. I mean, but like the town was felt young, like everything was geared towards you as like a 19 year old. Mm -hmm. And that was so cool. Like I remember, so my dad's, one of my dad's best friends has a a son uh, who went to school in Georgia and I'm really good friends with him. So every year I'd go to Athens, probably at least once, most of the time, two or three times a year. He stayed with my friend Ross and Ross was several years older than me. So he knew the ropes. And I thought he was the coolest guy. Like he'd be like, oh, we're going to General Beauregard's Davis. You need to have a Dixieland sweet tea or whatever they call it. And then we'd go to, he's like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's 1 a.m. Uh, we need to go get a hot dog from the street vendor. Or, or we need to go to the specific street vendor. I don't know what his name is. Or we'd go to, uh, oh gosh, what was the um, the boar's head? I don't, did you Banks ever go to the boar's head? I remember the boar's the head. Oh, I don't like remember, know how bar. I remember that. Place is phenomenal. Like that, I, these are these like in de- like burned into my mind images of Athens, and I I just loved it so much. And then one of my college roommates, and I'm going to law school there, so I you know just like stretched out my Athens experience. I feel like I it's where I've been, other than maybe Starkville or um, Tuscaloosa. I think it was where I traveled the most, um, and and considering it was one of the further away um, mm-hmm. places, the pre Missouri and pre um, College Station, I'd say. I made a real effort to go to Athens from Oxford, which was, I think it was like a seven hour drive. Is that right, Banks? It's about Atlanta plus an hour or and a half. Oh, at at least an hour. That's the biggest, like the the great lie about SEC is that Oxford is an hour from Memphis and that Athens is an hour from Atlanta. Like it's just total garbage. And Baton Rouge is an hour from from, uh, New Orleans, right? It is an hour. It's an hour. Everywhere's an hour from everywhere. So I, I I agree Athens it was it was like Disney World I and mean, people always say that about Oxford it's like this like Disney World like characterization or characterization caricature maybe of of the South 
um, I, I felt like Athens was that. I feel like Athens was the, like what if you, you were going to draw up a college town that that's what you would, would come up with. Totally. Number one for me is Athens as well. Um, listen to some attributes while I mentioned earlier, like for me, I think about, okay, if I want to spend 48 hours in this town in the SEC, what would it be and, and why? Athens is that most bars per capita. We listed some of the great ones there. Um, I, I do like the fact that there is this kind of merger of like the college radio vibe mixed yes. with college football, which is not really everywhere. Oxford, like you mentioned, tries to do that in some respects. And there's some great people upholding that part of it, but it, it's not at the level of Athens. We're trying yeah, to. Yeah, Oxford doesn't have a nowhere bar, you know, like it just. No, yeah. there's no dive bar like that that you can even compare. And there, you know, maybe Merce, but that's another podcast for another day. But oh. the fact that they produced B-52s, REM, Panic, Pylon, Future Birds now, and then DBT, like that is kind of present into the vibe of the downtown area. And it's literally right next to campus. So you are parked in one spot. You don't really have to deal with anything for the rest of the weekend. You're in that general area. Actually, the tailgating is pretty underrated, too, because it's all over campus. So you do get a lot of uh, different perspectives, like you mentioned. I think the one con about Athens is just the fact they produced Corey Smith. So for me, that's <laughs> always going to be a slight, you know, a little bit of a bullet uh, there. But yeah, it's it's relatively easy to get to. Great place to stay. The people are awesome. They're like LSU fans times ten, I think, when it comes to just accommodating and everybody's there to have a good time. Also, the one problem too is just the cops on the street. If you happen to be a certain age, or if you're um, even walking out the street for a half second, like. Fight cops are out there. Watch out. Again, I, I saw a 70-year-old woman get handcuffed, slap on her wrist for walking in the street with an open container. What? Athens cops make me feel like, you know, it's almost like Oxford cops have that reputation. They make Oxford cops look like New Orleans Bourbon Street cops. Like, Athens cops are so insane. Really? Maybe I was just so hungover that I wasn't even paying attention. I can't believe I didn't. Well, it actually really sounds like you had a horrible experience there. It's it's a it's a small miracle that you didn't I'm, get arrested. Like, Are you sure that you weren't arrested? I, I'm sure I wasn't. Um, I can't believe it now that I hear about the cops. Um, but man, no, I know it sounds like I didn't. I didn't do a great job with that. Um, but again, nostalgia. I, it was just like such a cool place. It was very very hipster and very just like exactly how I wanted to like see myself as a freshman in college, like, I don't know, cool and like vibey and, and mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe I was just like leaning into that. And so I'm remembering it that way, but maybe it was terrible. Again, Instagram versus reality. You were <laughs> right. actually sweating and hungover. <laughs> maybe hair I, probably I, like a rat's maybe nest. I hate Athens. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> Athens is last on my list. The reason it comes up so vividly is because it was such a miserable experience for you. <laughs> oh man. Well, you know, I'm going to keep it number one, but maybe it's also at the, at the bottom. This is an evolving process. <laughs> yeah. I could change. We can, we'll, we'll reach back out and see <laughs> we'll if you want to make any back. amendments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, River's going to go on a lot of college road trips this upcoming fall once we're all back under uh, normal circumstances with two kids and everything. That's just going to be part of her plan. Yeah, yeah, but I'm going to be at a bunch. Um, I've been, it's been such a nightmare. Like, I love my kids. They're great and whatever, but – um, man, I have been pregnant for like the worst two college, like LSU football seasons of all time. Oh, so much fun. They did so well. Everyone's like here in Baton Rouge, like all the media and there's a lot of events and the national championship. And like, I'm just pregnant at home and like, you know, so, so if they do do really well, I am going to leave my kids at home and I am going to go do the thing. Do not blame you. While we have you, I had an experience working there 
and a lot of times it was like this chip on your shoulder LSU crowd where it was, you know, we're, we're kind of down less miles and, you know, we're never really going to overcome Alabama. We were still mad about the Nick Saban thing. What's it like now? I can't even imagine. Like, they're, they ride off it, felt like, at the time. They ride off the fact that they are never going to be at that level and they have a chip on their shoulder. But now they're – Now they're patting everybody on the head. Not yeah, just me. Exactly. Everyone. They're patting everyone on the head. Um, no, it was just such a strange thing to watch. I don't know. In every game, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I knew they were good. I did. But, I mean, part of me, every single football game, I wanted them to lose. Like, just like a, like a part of me. Mm-hmm. So I went into every week like, oh, maybe this is the week they're going to lose. Like, you know, everything's going to fall apart. And then it just kept not falling apart. I mean, in every single game, everyone's attitude was just, like, getting a little better. And then they were getting a little more confident. And then, like, by the time they got to Alabama, they weren't even – I mean, because Alabama's like, that's their mountain, you know. Um, By the time they got to Alabama, it was just, like, it was crazy to watch. Like, they didn't even care because they knew they were going to – they knew they were going to kill them, you know. Um, And once once they beat Alabama. It was like, yeah. they're going to win the national championship. Exactly. Well, Rivers, thank you for your time. If anyone's tuning in right now, how can they find you, find your show, uh, find you on social media? Um, they can find me on Twitter. I'm at Rivs Huey. Um, and then they can find my show off the bench at OTB underscore ESPN. Thanks to Rivers for stopping by on our show this week. We really appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, This has been a lot of fun so far. We want to keep on turning out new material, likely on a weekly basis. So please follow us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, leave a review on each of those platforms, and continue to follow us on at Heated and Loaded for all the latest information related to the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. (laughs) 